This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. shall answer. Omondine buffoonery is kindled. Welcome back to Light the Beacons, a Loto podcast that also dabbles in books, movies, gaming, and the lore of J.R.R. Tolkien, as bastardized by Rankin Beck Productions. This is episode number 62, and I'm your host, Bragg of the Lonely Mountain. Yes. The Sultan of Shield Swipe, the Earl of Agro, True Heart Defender of Lothlorien and Dwarf of Ill Repute. I'm broadcasting live from temporary Light the Beacons Middle Earth Wide Headquarters in the Skirmish Camp off the 21st Hall. Uh, directing a bit of traffic flow, actually. This way, please, no pushing, shoving. I've got some cones set up, some uh, glow stick wands, and uh, I'm doing the thing where you dance in the middle of the intersection and wave people through with white gloves. Why, there's more people here today than the word Aragorn's inauguration. Uh, Watch out, coming through. Hold on there. One at a time, please. One at a time. Back of the line, burglar. No hipsing, please. Hey, you hunter, find the path to the back of the line, please, hunter. Why are all these people here? Well, apparently there's a very rare tome being sold at extremely reasonable prices at the skirmish cramp. It's cramp. It's a cramp. And it will make you more popular with any group of people in Middle-earth just by reading it. But apparently, the Eldar are putting a new import tariff on it that is going to raise the price through the roof. So now it's selling like hotcakes. Better get yours before they're all gone. Grima, make those guide ropes lower. The hobbits are walking right under them. <sighs> that guy is even more useless than usual since he found his new girlfriend in the fanged pit. Came back the next morning after his big date with what he calls hickeys all over his neck. Bite marks was a better word for them if you ask me. He was looking even paler than usual too, which I thought would have been literally impossible. Uh, He's been mooning about like a she-elf in heat ever since. (sighs) Boy, this is chaos. We better move on to our next beacon. People, wait your turns. We're living in something called a civilized society. Elanok, review of the agenda. As usual, we're first deal with a lot of CRAP contractions, contractions, corrections. We having a baby here? I don't know. As usual, we'll deal first with a lot of CRAP. Cut to corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. Last time out, we offended Middle Earth daycare providers, executive producer of Middle Earth. Uh, Thillian Herbal Remedy Obtainers, Magic Tavern Haters, Diehard Barry White Fans, and anyone with a shred of decency who believes in the sanctity of love and healthy, empowering relationships, even with a Maryvale. And to all those that were offended, I offer a very solemn and heartfelt, sorry. Um, and there's more where that came from. 
Viewer comments. Agree to disagree. Uh, iTunes reviews. Let's check the leaderboard. The last review of the podcast was left by Orlack of Arkenstone on October, October 13th of 2016. So he currently has our high score. If you want to join this illustrious vacuum of viewers, then please do, by all means, continue to do absolutely nothing. Uh, listener feedback. We had a little flurry of activity. First of all, Tommy Ark of York, medieval barber, uh, said, Bragg, your mic and podcast sound is perfect. Probably the best I've heard since you started. <laughs> it only took two years. I think you've nailed it. As far as herb dailies go, I think you've done some side herb dailies to do that many herb dailies, if you know what I mean. When they create the Hobbit botanist or Hobbit florist class, then maybe I'll pick flowers. Understand completely. A lot of people have that uh, attitude about it, that's for sure. Thonin of Arkenstone writes in to say, Love the Rush reference in the last podcast, so I say to you, sir, keep rocking on in the gilded cage of Light the Beacons. Thanks, Thonin. Going, go, always love to hear from another Rush fan, and going to try to insert a Rush reference in every podcast going forward. So listen closely, see if you can find it. Uh, who else? Um... Ozif of Landreville wrote in to tell us uh, zany as ever with the Moria love songs. So have there been two Lotro? There have been two Lotro players news episodes since you first called them out. I lay the credit at Bragg's dancing feet. If they could just somehow tie pipeweed to essences, I'd be more happy to do both. But you've inspired me to land better gear before the next release. Maybe it'll help if I smoke while I grind. Hey, who am I to judge? Uh, and uh, uh, moral authority. Of Moria, that's all, uh, and a prince. Um, the Twitter sphere, nothing of note going on. Community spotlight, a lot of going on. There was a TGen tribunal that came out over the last couple of weeks on returning to an MMO. This is perhaps reflecting the, shall I dare say it, Lotro renaissance of late with several people returning to the game from there. But it was a generic discussion about any MMO that you leave and go back to. Um, like an old girlfriend, often you return to your first love with some pining. And that was an interesting listen. Also, uh, episode of Scrooge Uncut came out a couple weeks ago where our friend Zydarius uh, did a retrospective on his time um, recording and experiencing the uh, ups and downs of the Mortar or Bust podcast, which has been uh, now on hiatus for several years. Uh, for those that have been with Lotro for many a year, you may remember the Mortar or Bust podcast as one of the principal ones that was out there initially at the time when uh, Casual Stroll to Mortar was popular. And uh, I had forgotten some of the interesting history behind that podcast, as Idarius points out, uh, some of the... Um, uh, some of the impact that he had on the community and uh, his relationship with Turbine, uh, which was quite tumultuous during that time frame. So uh, that was a nice walk down memory lane. Thanks for that, Zydarius. Uh, appreciated it very much. Uh, Forums Insider. Uh, some of you guys may have noticed over the last couple weeks, a new, uh, let's say, weekly community roundup has been published by, uh, by SSG. And they decided to call it the Lotro Beacon. <sighs> really? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's as long as I could do a dramatic pause without you know, people fearing that maybe they lost the connection to the stream. Um, hey, that is a great idea. 
Lotro beacons were used for communications in Middle Earth, from what I've heard. It's it's a perfect emblem uh, of a shining beacon for the community of Lotro knowledge and uh, you know important tidings, right? That impact the future of Middle Earth. I I just it's it's a great idea. Um, so I was gonna make fun of this even a little bit more until on the last Lotro beacon they plugged my show. <laughs> Okay, I guess you know how to butter up an old dwarf. Um, let's also talk about, uh, on the forums, the reaction to... Well, first of all, I'll say that the Lotro Beacon is a great idea. It's something that uh, an active community and engaged developer um, that wants to uh, you know, interact with their fan base and realizes the importance of the community to their success, the success of their game and their longevity in the industry it's something they should have been doing for a long time there have been some stops and starts with this kind of thing over the years i'm glad to see it started again uh you know when your community has to step up like loads of players has done over the last couple of years to publish this information then um you know that's a positive thing for the community that the information's there but you have to realize uh probably only a fraction of the the fan base listens to Lotro players as influential as it is and uh, what about the rest of them? So uh, glad they're stepping up to fill that void. Good idea. <sighs> but really, hashtag not my beacon. Okay, so let's talk about what else has been going on in the Forums Insider. Uh, the reaction to the bull roar posting. No, let's not do that. Let's talk about that later. More to come. So in this week's action-packed episode, we're going to, as always, talk a little bit about what we've been doing in-game these past few weeks. We're going to discuss the top 10, a return to the top 10, least desirable essences in the game. Uh, we're going to talk, of course, about the Bull Roarer release notes for update 20, which are causing an uproarer. And lastly, if we have any time remaining, we will pad out our runtime with useless and boring filler material. Let's move on to our third beacon. Ah, this show is a little bit sticky. Better drink some ale. Uh, all of you go out there, go out and refill your drinks, will you please? Before we move on to Nardal, this week in gaming and or other Tolkien news. So what other games out there that I'm playing? As I mentioned, I wasn't going to talk about Pokemon Go. After I finally evolved my what the hell do you call them? Um, Magikarp into a Girdra, or however the heck you pronounce it, and I have done that. So I was going to hang the game up. But then they came out with a new version, which introduced 80 more Pokemon to the game and uh, a bunch of stuff that was really easy to catch and level with. So <laughs> I'm about had it with that, though. Uh, I think one more level will get me to I'm about 80 to 90 percent of the way to 24 level 24. And when I get there, I think I'm going to be done. We'll see. Uh, DDO. Uh, I didn't play much of this game this past couple weeks, uh, but I did log in. Looking for some new quests to do that were my level. And uh, <clears throat> I found an area which I had not uh, located heretofore. Uh, the Graveyard of Delora. And I was wandering around the space. And I stumbled upon the tomb of Gary Gygax. Um, and I love it when games do these kinds of homages to their real life heroes. Uh, they know the importance of a figure like Gary Gygax to the... Uh, Dungeons and Dragons online fan base for those of you who don't know he was one of the uh, two original folks and kind of one of the really driving forces behind the original versions 
of uh, Dungeons & Dragons tabletop game. So finding his tomb within the game of DDO uh, as a monument to uh, his impact uh, was a kind of a cool, nerdy moment for me. Secret World, no. Marvel Heroes, no. Uh, Clash of Clans. My Town Hall upgrade is complete, and I'm uh, leveling some walls and stuff, uh, pending a big reconfiguration with all the new stuff I got. And uh, I'm going to try to space things out a little bit more to protect against earthquakes. That's what's going on in Clash of Clans. No Star Trek Online recently. I have been playing a little bit of Overwatch, and I found some good guides online out there talking about the best ways to play certain types of characters over on 10 Ton Hammer. So if you're stuck in uh, Overwatch and you want a little bit of tips how to play some of your favorite characters or maybe what to try with new ones, try some of the articles over at 10 Ton Hammer. They've got some good stuff. Not played any Bioshock recently. Uh, I did log into Shadow of Mortar and completed a few quests, but the big news about Shadow of Mortar, as most of you know, is the announcement of Shadow of Middle-Earth, the sweet sequel slash trailer that uh, came out this past couple weeks. So, okay, this might be a little lore-breaking, but remember, is a bit of a black... Mordor is a bit of a black box, so to speak, so... We don't know what hap everything that happened in Mordor during the time frames before the Lord of the Rings. We have little hints about what might have happened, but we don't know for certain. Wait to reserve judgment. Just because the guy's creating his own ring of power doesn't mean it's lore-breaking. Just because Tolkien did not say it happened does not mean it didn't happen. We owe them a little bit of latitude. Let's wait and reserve judgment. In the meantime, I've revised... Uh, Tokian's most famous poem and it reads now as such three rings for the elven kings under the sky seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone nine for mortal men doomed to die one for the dark lord on his dark throne and one additional ring for ambiguous interpretation leading to new revenue and franchising opportunities it's got a certain ring to it, doesn't it? Yes, it rings true. It has the ring of truth. Um, so enough said about that, except for the fact that if the game's well-rated, given the fact that I'm enjoying Shadow of Mordor, I'll probably wait till it's really cheap, and then I'll play it. Uh, in other Middle-Earth video gaming news this past week, <laughs> thought I should mention this because I got a kick out of it. The youngest dwarf in the house uh, dug out of an old cabinet the Lord of the Rings Warrior of Middle-Earth video game, which I had not seen in years. And if you don't know what the game this is, you should take a look at it online. I actually looked it up and found versions still for sale out on Amazon UK. So this thing can be had. And I'll start by saying that, okay, first I'll describe the game. Uh, it's uh, AV input into a TV. Uh, it's a little base that sits in front of the TV with an infrared uh, sensor and a little ring on top of it, and it comes with a sword, which can register movement uh, using the tabletop action. So the game plays out on your TV and uh, marches you through, uh, let's say, cutscenes from, you know, bad, badly pixelated cutscenes from the actual uh, Fellowship of the Ring movies and Lord of the Rings movies in general. And uh, you go through scenarios where um, the evils appear on screen and you have to slash at them with your sword. 
and uh, you have to slash at them before they hit you and reduce your health. And you march along and the buddies appear and you swing your sword. And where you swing the sword, you see the path of the sword across the screen. And if it hits a bad guy, it injures him or kills him. And uh, you proceed through the various scenarios in Middle Earth from marching through a region, through uh, the gates of Moria, through Moria itself. Uh, eventually, on your way to Minas Tirith, you fight, uh, you fight the Watcher, you fight Kurbane, you fight Balrogs, you fight Orcs, uh, you fight uh, Nazgul, etc., etc., etc. And uh, you perform various feats with the sword, certain combinations of actions which, uh, which you know, wield the flame of Arnor or block certain things or do this or do that. And when I was, uh, you know, when I first got this game, we had a blast with it. And the kids played it all the time. And believe it or not, it was actually an aerobic workout. <laughs> because you had to swing that sword a lot and hard. So it was one of those original uh, exercise games for the PC. Um, so the reason I never won the game is that the controls were a bit imperfect. The infrared sensor, uh, some of the movements of the sword you had to do for the more advanced functions required uh, very precision movements. And sometimes it was very difficult get, to get the sword to, to register those movements on uh, in the brief intervals that you were allowed in between attacks by your opponent. And so it got a bit frustrating. <coughs> a great concept that as the game got more difficult was uh, difficult to pull off because the precision of the, the sword was not quite there to be quite up to speed. I got pretty far. I think I got probably 80% of the way through the game and then I just got stuck at one point. I couldn't do it. Let's say the infrared sensor has not improved over the last uh, seven or eight years <laughs> and the sword has gotten banged around so much by young hobbits in the house that it barely still functions. But my youngest pulled it out and got through the first couple areas uh, playing the game and it was kind of fun to see it again. It is uh, certainly, I don't even know how many bits are in this thing as far as the graphics are concerned. But if you've got some young hobbits in the house and they're Lord of the Rings fans, you might want to pick up a version from the Amazon UK. I don't imagine they'd be that expensive at this point. And it was a lot of fun back in the time. So Lord of the Rings Warrior of Middle-Earth game. Check it out. A uh, bit of Lotro uh, video game history that uh, maybe not many of you have seen in the past. So what have we been doing in Lotro these past couple weeks? Well, we had the Yule Festival return briefly. Um... I cycled through all my tunes as I normally do on the daily presence over that course of that week and got almost nothing good. Uh, basically, a few marks, a few medallions, even seals, a couple seals here and there with some extra winter Yule tokens mixed in here and there and a wintry Yule cap every now and then. You know, what I'm always hoping for in a present, of course, is a hobby horse, which I've never had. Or um, a tomb, a tome, um, you know, a stat tome. Uh, or an Amphalos Crystal, or a Scroll of Empowerment. Something actually useful. And uh, those things are few and far between. But I probably did pile up a decent amount of marks, medallions, and extra tokens doing that. And uh, the return went on long enough for each of my tunes to, with a few extra quests here and there thrown in, to do 10 daily quests and get an Athelian Essence Fragment out of that return as well. And uh, I spent what tokens I had remaining. I went to the uh, went to the vendor and uh, one or two tunes. I saved up some for next year just in case. Um, and then I spent the rest on dyes and crystals, where where I had them before the festival, where where I had them before the festival vendors disappeared. Uh, Bragg, my guardian, completed the Battle of Lorien ten times. 
and uh, completed the last deed in my Lothlorien deed log. And for completing that final deed, um, I think the 10th iteration of the, uh, of the battle was worth 20 Lotro points, actually, which is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, but more importantly, um, an empty deed log for Lothlorien, and my OCD is satisfied for now. Uh, okay, it's still satisfied. It's still sa uh, That's enough. On to Mirkwood. More deeds in Mirkwood. <laughs> so, Ravanian. Uh, Moria is clean. Lothlorien is clean. But there's a lot to do in Mirkwood, Stangard, and uh, what else? Wildermore in there. So, it... Uh, We'll have to see when I feel the spirit moving me to clear more deeds in my deed log on brag. Um, interestingly enough, I have had a quest for several years now where Bragg had saved up two Dragox scales and was looking for a third in order to cash in and procure a worm scale Blademaster's cloak. And I was not going to buy the one that was in Layla's uh, shop uh, and spend turbine points or mithril coins on it. When I had two scales out of three and I only needed one scale. But the big problem is, I ran many runs looking for that third scale. Even ones that were successful, where I did not win any scales. And then probably the last seven times I've tried that instance, it's bugged out. <laughs> Which is a shame, because I actually did enjoy running it when it was back in the day, when it did work occasionally, and it was successful, and you would pile down onto the gold floor and open up four or five different chests with a whole bunch of stuff coming out uh, was fun. But uh, I think the fact that the characters are so overtuned are so overleveled now for it that they, they burn the dragon down too fast makes it even more likely for it to bug out. So it's been, it's probably been at least two years since I've been on a successful Dragok run. And for that reason, I don't run them that frequently anymore. And they're not run in general that frequently anymore, which is a shame. Um, but when I mentioned that to uh, one of my kin members, he said, oh, I think I got a scale sitting in a vault somewhere. I'll send it to you. And sure enough, in the mail the next day, I procured my third Dragox scale. Thank you very much, kinmate. And procured my worm scale blade master's cloak. So there's a couple to choose from based on what you want. Being as it's only a cosmetic for me at this point, the worm scale is the one uh, I think that has the best aesthetics. And uh, all that's left for that is perhaps somewhere down the road someday to find a cloak clasp to turn it into a shimmering Blademaster's cloak. Uh, and that would be neat. So that's something perhaps to farm for eventually. While I was there, I noticed that I had a pretty good pile of Orthanth Citadel fragments. And I picked up the Isengard War Steed for about 100 of those for Bragg. That was a steed that he never had before. I think that gives me approximately blah, 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 blah horses now. Because despite the presence of a collections panel, there is not a simple way to count them. <laughs> now that they fleshed out the other pets in the new update, maybe do they will do the same for steeds at some point soon. That would be a great uh, idea. I would love to see that SSG. Um, you know what I want to be a thing? Horse-offs. Have you ever done a horse-off? I've got this vision where you would match up with a tune, stare each other in the eye, Play some Sierra Leone, uh, you know, good, bad, and the ugly music in the background. And get on a horse. And the other guy gets on a horse. Then you get off. Then you pull up a new horse. And he pulls up a new horse. And you get off. And he pulls up a new horse. And you pull up a new horse. And you have a horse off. 
and the person who has the most horses who can pull up a horse without repeating and the other guy runs out wins the horse off and there's no way to know how many the other guy has when he starts who knows maybe he's got 10 maybe he's got 20 maybe he's got 79 i think i've got something like 79 i, I don't know i'm not going to count them when when ssg introduces it to the collections panel i'll count them in the meantime let me know if you want a horse off uh my mini level 105 finished uh a bunch of herbal dailies to do jewelry upgrades and uh also procured her second ring of dryad loneliness so that is the gold ring that's available for the herbal dailies uh, which take 500 um uh, which one is it i think it's umber essences a piece and she is done if i get another one it's going to my lore master and did I mention, I don't know if I mentioned this a couple podcasts ago, but she is my second tune to actually make world-renowned. Um, the only one besides Bragg that I've gone back with and finished off. Uh, the Eglane and Enidwyth usually are the ones that are left over if you've done a lot of extra stuff and gotten all the rep items from out of the skirm camp that you need to finish off the rest of Eriador. Um, did I mention they need a second world-renowned title, Port de, for the rest after area door that come uh because if they introduced that i'd have it <laughs> um and you know what giving people incentive to go out and build world renowned on all the other uh rep areas in the game that are out there after area door would be a huge incentive for people to go and actually do that and replay old content so ssg if you're listening we need a second and maybe even a third world renowned you could divide it up into Rovanion and then another one for Gondor and uh, you know, give some decent rewards out there for that. I think uh, people would pursue it. Uh, Minnie also procured the floral portrait frame, which means she's run 100 herbal daily quests. Yes, I know. And she healed a, Quay, a tier one Quay's uh, run, running as a duo with a champ. Uh, so just two tunes. I know it's only tier one, uh, but it was really easy. So I have a little bit of a hankering to go out and do some more group healing runs with my mini. It's been a while since I've done a lot of mini healing, and I think she's up to it now. My Cappy, the fashionable, got his first herbal globe bracelet. He finished the Asgiliath Crossroads quest. Done. He started the Milgamel quest line for herbals. Done. Finished the Jarl Girlthim Varieg quest line in North Athelion. Done. So let me talk for a second about this Jarl Girlfilm Varieg questline. Uh, for those of you who have done it, you know you can pick it up just north of the east entrance of Asgiliath in North Athelion. If you run along the water, you will find uh, Jarl Girlfilm at his camp, and if you approach it, uh, a quest will appear over his head. Um, there's also a quest that vectors you down that way, uh, asking you to check the water line, I think, around... Uh, forget the name of the place... But you know what I'm talking about. Um, so there is a quest that will take you down that area and uh, help you spot him if you hadn't seen it before. Um, so the interesting thing about Jarl Girlfheim is if you follow his quest line, he'll kind of lead you north through North Athelion as he uh, looks to exact revenge on the Haradrim that have, uh, uh, that have betrayed him and his folks, leaving a trail of bodies behind for you to find. And uh, a few small quests will lend you all the way up towards uh, just south of the camp of the host. 
um, where you can help him defeat his uh, final enemy in an instance. And if you do so, he offers you a choice of two rewards. Uh, the quest is called a just reward. Uh, the first reward he offers is honor alone. And the second just reward he offers is called spoils of war. So you get to choose which one you want. And um, this, the interesting choice is this. The spoils of war tells you that if you choose it, you, not only will you get, I think it's an essence and some coins and some other stuff and some rep, uh, but 50 gold, which is... I don't know that I know of another quest in-game that rewards you 50 gold. Now, I know not gold doesn't go as far as it used to in-game, but 50 gold is a pretty pretty big sum of money for uh, you know a four or five line quest chain. And uh, obviously, my first time through, I said, well, I'm taking the gold. Then I started to think about it. Um, SSG has done this before. It's uh, characters like these Girthelm and Jajax that could set the stage for future adventures in Harad or in Khand or in the Corsairs of Umbar. And if they offer you a choice in the past, they have made those choices have consequences, which I always find interesting. Um, now we know that whether or not we bring, uh, spoiler alert, uh, Halros with us from the Shire will determine the fate of another major character in the epic quest line. Um, things of that nature. So, you know, sometimes they're not as major as that. Sometimes they're smaller. But choices do usually have consequences. So, although I took the 50 gold with my first turn through, I made sure that the second tune that I took through that quest line chose the other award, reward, on or alone. Uh, just so that I could see if we meet these guys down the pike, and I believe we will. That's my prediction. I'm adding it to my predictions list for 2017. Although it might be as late as 2018 before it actually comes to fruition, uh, I think we will see Jarl Girthlin before. And your choice here may determine what happens when you meet him again. Just something to think about. Uh, the other spoiler I think that they've left out there to continue our story beyond the destruction of the ring is the whole storyline where you um, recapture the head of the fell beast for the Nazgul in the Pelennor Fields and bring it to the scholars within Minas Tirith. That has disaster written all over it. <laughs> Again, my prediction. We'll see if it comes true. My lore master uh, ran a Silent Street Tier 2 Challenge run. It's the first time I've been through that instance on Tier 2 Challenge with my lore master. Um, if you do run that instance, uh, your group probably will want you to run as the Ancient Master line, which is uh, you know, outside of uh, you know, pet DPS line is kind of the most effective in terms of buffing um, and debuffing within a group. And uh, they'll want you to do a lot of water lore every time it's up. They'll want you to bring your Raven for fire mitigation debuff that you can put on the bosses uh, for the challenge when the two side bosses come out. And you have to burn them down with a certain amount of time. You're going to have a fire RK with you often or a hunter with fire oils and having your raven out for fire mitigation debuff on that boss uh, will help speed that along besides that you're going to throw out a crap load of ancient craft fire lore tar frost lore on the boss and occasional beacon of hope or fear removal and uh, when the two side bosses come out um, you're probably going to be asked to mez the second boss so that you can burn down the first one without him approaching you 
um, and maybe remez him depending on how quickly you burn the first boss uh, so that you can go over to uh, attack him and finish off that part of the tier 2 challenge. So uh, that was a successful run by my lore, lore master tier 2 challenge which is kind of cool because I wasn't sure if he was ready for that instance uh, with his gear so I now know now I can do it and uh, I still have no hilts on any tune on maybe 10 plus successful runs across all my tunes so that's a bit unfortunate but I, I know people that have done worse so RNG be good to me uh, Bergen Hunter doing a little bit of jewelry polishing those guys are probably next in line to get some loving the Bjorning has been doing a little bit of deed grinding with Quest and Gondor both west central and east all having uh, virtues that were needed by me plus South Athelion and Asgiliath. Um, so I elected to do those quests, although it's a lot of work to do quest lines versus Slayer Deeds. It's a little more interesting, and you gain some maybe useful stuff on the side, uh, apart from just what you would get from doing Slayer Deeds. So um, I also did the Exploration Deed in Pilar Gear, which is an easy one, and he's on to the Orcs and Lothlorien. His virtues are mostly between 15 and 19 now, so in the home stretch. And again, uh, you know, you may or may not grind deeds on your tunes. Uh, my cap level tunes all have 19s now, except for the Bjorning. I find deeding for virtue satisfying, and here's why: uh, gear gets replaced. Um, uh, I love accumulating class trade points for my tunes, and I love building virtues for my tunes. Because those are things that don't get taken away. It's a baseline that can make you better than other characters outside of gear grinding. So I don't mind doing those things. I know it takes time, but I feel like it's a permanent improvement to my character um, that's going to help me. And uh, from that perspective, I find it satisfying. If you don't, I understand. You don't need full 19s on all your virtues to be successful in the game, depending on what your goals are. But uh, that's why I do it. My champ is level 59 now, and the redstone loads await. Uh, did a couple grand stairs runs, both full clears and speed runs, to get the devoted mark, which you can't get in a full clear, uh, in order to finish off all the deeds, or, or all the quests for the grand stairs that you can get out of the orc watch. And there are a ton of them. I probably had two to three levels worth of quests in this instance alone. Moria was unique in this way, and... I still, I think it still inspires repeat playthroughs to this day. All the deeds that were associated with all the different various instances, and the tons of quests that you could do as well within the game, uh, you know, makes people go back and replay that content for deed deeding quite frequently. And uh, I think you know there are deeds associated with more recent raids, but uh, not quite as many and not quite as varied, and uh, certainly. Not nearly as many quests aligned with completing deeds within, within, uh, within the instances uh, at uh, you know that have come out since that time frame. Um, on the downside, I probably would need uh, the mark of the turtle if I, or a tortoise if I wanted to keep questing in Moria and not outlevel that content. So unfortunately, that's the reality of how fast is the level in the game now at those lower levels. Unfortunately. My RK is 53 and awaiting the waterworks. My warden dim. My warden has not been played, awaiting even dim. And that's enough about what I've been doing in game. So let's grab a wet whistle and move on to our next beacon. We are at the fourth beacon of Aralas. 
And uh, for this beacon, we're going to re return to our series of top 10 lists. Uh, many of you guys may have noticed the, uh, much to your chagrin in some cases, the proliferation of essences in the game. You can get them from various locations. You can get them at various um, potency levels. You can get them with ver for various uh, stat increases. You can get them at various varying levels of stat increases within those uh, different teal and gold essences. And uh, you can just and you can even get class specific essences uh, in some of the areas of central Gondor. Um, I was in game the other day and someone said they had received what they believed to be perhaps the least desirable essence in the entire game, which was a lesser <laughs> uh, level 50 essence of uh, evade. <laughs> I think it was. And I agreed with them. That was not something that was likely to be hitting my uh, allies anytime soon. Uh, but that, I thought there were some worse essences in the game. So I made up a list. And here are the top 10 least desirable essences you can find in the game. Ready? Number 10. A minor essence of Bill Fernie's sock drawer. Number 9. Greater Athelian essence of grinding. Number 8. Wild Essence of Cave Claw Musk. Number seven. A Supreme Essence of Radiance. Really useful. Number six. Major Essence of Physical Inebriation. Number five. Greater Anorian Essence of Barrow Brie. Number four. The Supreme Morgul Essence of Noisome Flowers. Number three. The Wild Essence of Cherry Lifesavers. Number two. The Minor Greater Anorian Essence of Major Supreme Wild Athelian Chutzpah. Chutzpah! I said, Chutzpah! And number one, the Supreme Robust Essence of Axe Body Spray, the favorite of buggering hobbits everywhere. <laughs> Quick and dirty top ten, let's, let's move on to the fifth beacon of Min Rimon. And now the original word from our sponsor segment. This episode of Light the Beacons is brought to you by Rivendell's Roach Motel Library. The RRML. Elrons go in, but they don't come out. And by Thornley's Construction Agency. Hey, who spread Loremaster tar all over my work site? Thornley's Construction Agency, servicing the Breland Upper Valley area endlessly for over nine years. Nine times. Yes, that was a Ferris Bueller essence I slipped in there. Good for you if you caught it. The sixth beacon of Callahan. On to more serious business once I have some ale. Some of you may know that uh, Update 20 hit Bullroar this past couple weeks. And uh, a number of videos and articles have come out about the content since then. And release notes were published. If you want to be completely blindsided by the content, uh, you may now turn off your earphones and uh, go watch an old episode of Ren and Stimpy. But for those of you who are interested, I just wanted to point out a few things that I saw in the release notes that I thought were interesting. First of all, uh, since these notes came out on Friday, March 3rd, uh, they're going to change over time. We know that there are going to be multiple releases of Bull Roarer. That will get closer and closer to a clean release. I believe in the past it's been about three to four weeks uh, after a build hits Boar uh, until publish date. So we could be looking at 
early April, first week of April for update 20. So what are some of the things we have to look forward to? I'm not going to read everything here, but I'm going to pull out a few things that I think were um, especially interesting. And since I can't read my own handwriting, I'm going to pull them up really quickly. Grab and cut this part out. No, I won't do it. Oh, I hate that guy. All right. First of all, um, the new Epic Volume 4, Book 8, is not available during the Update 20 open beta. I think they're trying to keep those secrets just a bit longer than... Uh, than they need to at this point, and perhaps the content also needs some polish, and they want to have a good, a good storyline that's available there. Uh, so first of all, the world has a new area, the wastes, with three new regions: the No Man Lands, Daggerlad, and the Slag Hill. Woo! Pardon me, Ale, and the Slag Hills. Um, Grima, viewers don't want to hear that. You know, you know, viewers. Okay, so you can access this area and start the new quest con content in the camp of the host. And I actually hear that there are several new reputation layers uh, for um, for the host. Uh, same as the one in North Athelion. I think it's Camp of the Host or I mean, yeah, March of King Aragorn or yeah, Reputation of the Host. Okay, so there's several new reputation layers similar to what they did with Minas Tirith where when a new update came out they added several new layers. And I believe um, at least one of the rewards for leveling that reputation is um, a port to the Camp of the Hosts, which we did not have previously. Uh, there are solo and fellowship versions of the new resource dungeons, Squaronk and Karkost, using the doors found in the Slag Hills. And I have heard that you need to complete a number of quests and also some fellowship quest content in the new fellowship content area in the wastes in order to be able to access those versions of those dungeons. So much like we had a Tarlang's Crown and a Limlight Gorge and the list goes on and on, we will find a uh, fellowship area um, in this wastelands area, which I think is actually pretty appropriate for the lore. One would think it would be fairly dangerous to quest here. Um, there are new crafting recipes available for endgame tokens uh, for each profession. And uh, you can also acquire additional recipes per profession via rep barter. And a one-shot recipe that drops for each profession, which I think is great. Like I said, we need more stuff that drops via recipe to make crafting relevant. So it looks like they're taking that advice. Imbued legacy tiers have been extended by 10 levels. Five new tiers unlocked by default, and another five that can be unlocked with scrolls of empowerment. So, um, our weapons are getting more powerful. We knew this was going to happen, uh, but there's been a little bit of an uproar in the forums over whether this is the right time. I think people knew that the weapons were going to get more levels, but they thought it would happen with the level increases uh, that would accompany the Mordor expansion as opposed to now because um, most people think that uh, and I agree that we're overpowered for the environment if you've got a fully leveled weapon especially and that we don't need uh, more power right uh, imbalancing PVE and PVP now but um, 
you know, maybe the mobs in this area are going to be more dense and we're going to need those levels uh, to unlock, to beat some of this content. So I'll wait and see on that. But uh, I do agree it seems like it might be a bit premature. Then again, if they're looking at level 20 levels to get into Mordor, maybe it's better to do 10 now and 10 then. It certainly helps keep, a bit, keep people busy. The pet collection has been revamped, so it now displays every pet available in the game. Yay! Um, you can quick, you can uh, you can drag the 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 icons down to your quick slots as well, and uh, it'll tell you what you have to do to find the pets in the game, where you can get them, and how, which is great. Horses next, please. Um, with update twenty, and this is a big one. The following instances are now in the featured instance rotation. The Lost Temple, Glingant, Fornost, the Wraith, Wraith of Earth, Seat of the Greek Goblin, and the Sold Hall of Dol Guldur, as well as Flight to the Lonely Mountain. <sighs> I always like when they switch these. <laughs> First of all, we're uh, inserting a bunch of instances that we have not been running uh, nearly as frequently, um, at least uh, not with the frequency I've seen called for in world chat. So... I'm excited for a couple of these. There are a few of these that I've only done a handful of times, and some of my tunes have never done them. The Lost Temple, for example. Uh, Bragg has gone all the way through it. Um, it's easy to do now over-leveled, but doing it on-level is going to be a pretty good challenge. Uh, well, it's going to be a featured instance run, so it actually won't, but, you know. Uh, Fornaust Race of Wraith of Earth. Uh, kind of a long one, as I recall, but good to see something new and different that's not run that frequently. Seed of the Great Goblin is one that uh, you know I did a couple times and then kind of dropped it because um, the mechanics on the final boss fight were kind of a pain in the neck, so people didn't do it. Sword Hall of Dol Guldur, I've done a ton, and people use it for leveling, so they may not be as excited at that, but I actually have a number of tunes that have never been in there. And Flight to the Lonely Mountain is a fairly painless uh, raid level way to finish and get tokens. Uh, that allows for grouping and, you know, not that tough anymore, but, uh, uh, but you know, a change of pace. Different. So I like that. I like getting new featured instances in and excited about those. Um, there are new things dropping in the 2-2 Challenge raid of Throne of the Dead Dread Terror. Specifically, ornate inlays that you can use to upgrade armor that you've already acquired. Excellent. Keep those things rolling. Need uh, new um, new rewards in the 2-2 challenge of the instance to keep people interested in running it. So that's great. And then uh, two new floor repeatable quests in the way. So they are continuing to expand the floor system. Uh, two uh, essences I've heard that you could not get in North Athelion now available in the wastes. And uh, you'll unlock them by completing No Man Land quests, same as you did in uh, North Thillion. And uh, there will be, hopefully, some new rewards uh, available from those as well. What else is going on? Um, you, can, you can now perform emotes on the stages in the Belfast Premium Housing Area. You know, RP players, great. Small change, big impact for folks that want to hold... Uh, events close to their kin houses or do whatever and uh, allowing emotes on the stage great great change here's the the head scratcher of the entire letter for me the Bree scholars hall no longer has a visible exterior let me read it again the Bree scholars hall which they just added i think for the lore uh presentations by the tokian scholar no longer has a visible exterior 
So my question, does it have an invisible exterior now? Or does it have no exterior? Or have they made it smaller so it doesn't look so strange next to the rest of the Breland skyline? I don't know. We might have to go in and see that one. Uh, here's a big one, and we'll talk about why in a little bit. The price of the small reputation acceleration tome is being increased to better reflect mark and medallion acquisition rates. Okay, these were probably underpriced, but people are losing their ever freaking minds about this. <laughs> um, if you didn't hear, the price is going to go up about four or five hundred percent over where it is now. Uh, so if it's, I'm throwing out figures. If it's, you know, sixty marks and six medallions, it's going to be more like. 450 marks and uh, 40 medallions, something like that. Um, they probably were underpriced before. And most people have enough marks and medallions to buy these when they need them without a big deal. But if you're a new player, you might not. You might not. Um, so it's a shame that uh, you know some of the newer players have to live under the higher price tags. I probably would have been... I think it would have been more appropriate to split the difference and make it something in between. But uh, as you heard early on in my podcast, uh, there is a line at the skirmish camp of people buying stacks and stacks of uh, Excel rep accelerators uh, just for their own use going forward, as well as uh, perhaps to post in the auction hall. So uh, not surprising at all. Uh, you might want to consider stocking up on a few stacks. I just did. Um. They have better drops for Bjornings in older and scaled instances. That's good. They fixed Nanu's hiding place for the decoration item that comes out of um, that comes out of the turtle instance in Moria. That's good. And a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter, etc., etc., etc. To you, just a little possum. All right. Here's the other thing that is causing some concern. Oh, before I go there. The following emotes, which have been text only since the beginning of the game, now have animations. Assist, attack, blush, be right back, curtsy, drool, fight, grumble, hug, innocent, mumble, pat, ready, resist, rest, stare, stretch, succumb, sweat, tear, wait, and wink. That is cool. Um, I love new emotes. I uh, love how it supplements the RP in the game. And uh, excited that uh, the tunes have all these. I've actually watched a video published on Lotro Players, which shows them all one after the other introducing each one as it happens and they're cute and fun new emotes are great so um good job turbine thanks for that um they also added a stable master button uh on the radar in the top right of your screen so instead of opening up your collections panel to get to it um you can quickly click on the button and it makes sense if you're looking for a stable master radar might be about where you're going to check all right now the last one which i think is uh, got some people losing their ever-loving minds. If you go through the class changes that premiere in Update 20, uh, the burglar one, eh, neutral, I'll give it. The captain's changes, buff. The champion changes, buff. The hunter changes, buff. The lore master changes, buff. The minstrel changes, buff. The runekeeper change, buff. The guardian change, nerf. <laughs> The only class hit by a nerf bat in update 20, the Guardian. Follow through now adds as many max targets as indicated by the trait text. And if you think that means that they increased the number of tar targets to match the text, 
That is not correct. They reduced the number of targets to match the text. And what this means is that your shield swipe, uh, which in blue mode for a guardian, shield smash, I'm sorry, has a max targets of seven, is going to go down, depending on how you're traded in the blue line, from what I've read, to between two and four targets. And, um, yeah. So, <laughs> the problem with this, as you will see if you go to the Guardian's uh, round table, is that um, the Guardian has relatively few uh, AoE skills when in blue line now. Uh, versus olden days. You've got your sweeping cut, of course. You've got your whirling retaliation. You can hit uh, five targets with vexing blow and three with war chant. But as far as the number of tar uh, skills that are hitting seven plus targets, uh, which you've got a tank on a regular basis within a raid, um, that number is going to go down by one. And that is a big deal to guards because it makes them tougher to maintain aggro over a larger number of group of ads in instances. Um, and we have lots of instances where there's uh, 8 to 10 ads that can come out at any particular time. And the only way to maintain aggro of those is by force taunt now as opposed to building aggro through damage and uh, spreading bleeds, which is really how it should be done. You should be using force taunts for the initial pull right and to get their attention and draw them towards you and then you should be administering aoe damage and bleeds to build up that aggro over time and your shield skills uh, to keep them stuck on you like what on rice and that is going to be harder to do with this nerf and uh, how hard uh, remains to be seen i'm a little skeptical it's as bad as people make out but it is uh, there are people that think it's going to make the tank perhaps a second-class citizen as far as uh, tanks when tanks are called for for the content which is to come. We will see. Um, what else are people complaining about? The Hunter got a bunch of buffs but didn't fix one of the things that people think is a major problem right now, which is that in blue line there is a... Um, there is an armor set that allows you to build focus and uh, basically use uh, do what is called barrage spamming. So barrage is one of the hunter skills, which does uh, you know major damage output when in blue line, uh, but normally you can only do it when you have a certain amount of focus. But uh, basically, with this uh, gear set that you can get, I think it's an Erebor, um, and the right trait setup. You can spam barrage and basically hit it and one other skill, maybe exsanguinate and uh, blood arrow, and basically go back between those two. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. And it makes the hunter uh, very two-dimensional and very boring. Um, I did run a raid, uh, Tier 2 Silent Street, with a hunter who was using that, and he said it was amazing. I mean, he never had to do anything he didn't have to take a power pod he didn't have to you know build his focus did he just sat there and pressed the buttons and it maxed out his damage and apparently it can be better than redline when redline should be the top end dps a hunter can do supposedly so that is something that has not been fixed and uh i think hunters you know may be excited about the damage they can do in the run for now but are going to get pretty bored of it pretty quickly so i do agree it sounds fairly uh egregious and the last thing I did want to mention I saw on the forums regarding the, the notes was a comment by O.L. of Belagar, 
who um, had an idea about rep accelerators, which I thought was really good. So I wanted to uh, echo it and maybe amplify it. Um, he says, now everyone reading this will just buy some thousands of rep accelerators before the price rises. And everyone that doesn't read the patch notes will be affected by the change. In addition to this, I see no reason to raise rep accelerators for levels 1 through 100. Why not just make a new rep accelerator that can only be used at level 100 plus, which costs more and limits the old ones to lower levels? Maybe um, the ones that are 100 level and lower only work on um, you know, rep from areas like Eriador and Ravanian, right? And then there's one that comes out, which is Gondor or Mordor specific. And you could have two costs for the two different levels. I thought this was a creative solution and one the devs should consider looking at. So good job, OL, of Balagar. So it doesn't raise the cost for rep accelerators for low-level players. It raises them for endgame only, which is more appropriate in my opinion. So those are some of the most exciting things coming out. <laughs> You're probably out there. <laughs> Grime a wake up and get on the board, will you please? It is time for closing. We are at the beacon of Halafirian, which means... That uh, Gondor signaled for help and Rohan has received that and will be replying. It's time for blessed relief. I'm officially putting a little pink bow on the 62nd episode of Light the Beacons. I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. You can contact me at bragsonofballon at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second A stands for Alanon, best druid ever. You can go... And see me on Facebook or in Twatterton at Bragg Son of Balan or my website, lightthebeacons.com, where you can post comments directly on the podcast. I kindly request you take the time to create an iTunes review if perchance you are so inclined. You will have the high score, and I would appreciate it. If your comments incite me to forego my legendary dwarf and apathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond in some way. So I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before or perhaps looked at the game in a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope all you viewers out there, and you know you're not viewers, enjoy your week in Middle Earth. This is Bragg, son of Balin, signing off. Baruch Kazad. And remember, the next time you forget to put a Rush reference into your podcast until the very end when you're almost done, don't despair. Limelight the beacons. Thank you.